Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sense podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and joining me today is Spencer Blake. Uh, you, you know him on Twitter at Spencer J- JD Blake or DJ Blake, sorry. And he uh, covers Belleville for the Silver Seven Sense. Spencer, thank you so much for joining me. How's it going today? Not bad, Alex. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, um, we uh, have a lot to break down. It was another very, very busy week in uh, Sens land here. Um, another not so great week, unfortunately, <laughs> if you are uh, hoping for some victories, but uh, it gives us lots to talk about. That's for sure. Um, sure does. Ottawa played three games, obviously, against Vancouver and got uh, uh, killed in a lot, all of them <laughs> pretty much. Uh, the, the, the final score in the whole series, Ottawa put forth three goals and let up 16, 16 to three loss overall with zero points uh it's tough to find positives but i think there was some but let's start with monday night's game uh 7-1 final it looks really ugly i think it was less ugly than it looked but this is the type of game you can accept if it's coming off of say two wins or three wins in a row or you take some points against winnipeg this is not a loss you can accept at four losses in a row and one point in those four games uh, a pretty ugly one on a late start on Monday night. Let, let's start there. What were your opinions on the game? Yeah, it was, it's a tough one because if you look back at the game and and how things went from a you know shots perspective, chances perspective, it actually it didn't feel like a seven one loss. It definitely felt like a loss, but it didn't feel like a seven one loss. So you know, looking back on you know in the in the moment, of course, we were all pretty pretty frustrated with goal after goal. But I do think there was a couple of of good things that came out of it. Um, you know, the, the Tierney Brown Paul line was great, um, for, for the chances that they had. Um, but obviously there was a, a couple issues there, uh, specifically around, uh, defense and goaltending, which is probably going to be the theme of today's episode of your podcast is what's going on with defense and goaltending. So, yeah, it's definitely a recurring thing through the week. And it was the, the highlight of this game really is I thought they, they played Vancouver to even. Now, I think a bit of that was probably score adjusted. You know, when you look yep. at it, uh, 5v5 score adjusted, it, it, it calms down a little, but there was still some really good play. Like you mentioned that Tierney Paul Brown line, they were still score adjusted all above 55 in Corsi 4 percentage. And I want to say expected goals as well. So, um, you know, they played really well. Thomas Shabbat had a good game. I thought uh, all three games really this week that Norris Kachuk Batherson line has looked pretty solid you know like i've been really the, the results haven't been there but just the way they're playing i've been happy and monday was no different but uh, it's just defensive breakdowns um you know the bottom couple lines getting absolutely caved in and uh some some goals that really just can't go in from from both goalies really i, I mean i'm even trying to think back to, to monday but um you know there, there's just been too many times where this team i feel like just gets they get caught running around and whether that's on four V five, you know, their penalty kill has been something we've talked about a lot. Like it's an issue. They still just seem to, to cave into a little bit of a bubble and just let shots go from the high slot. And, and you're, you're just asking for trouble when you do that, but uh, you know, or just, you know, bad goals that, you know, I, I don't want to blame the goaltending because it's certainly not all their fault, but at some point you need to save. And when you just get these backbreaking goal after backbreaking goal, it's hard to bounce back from sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. And on the, on the goaltending front, I think we, we all expected, or we all should have expected uh, a tough time for Murray and, and Hogberg just behind the defense that, that Ottawa was putting out there every night. Um, but like you said, there are some times there, especially in the seven, one loss. And again, in the, the next two games against Vancouver, where, uh, you know, if, if you got that key save 
things probably could have been a bit different, but uh, a couple deflating goals in each loss, especially the seven, one loss uh, really, really makes it tough for them to, to bounce back, even if they are playing well. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going through them right now again. And like the first one's a point shot that just cleanly beats them from, uh, I don't even know who shot it. It was either you levy or, you know, and it was just a rebound of front. It's like, you, you need to have that one. And then the second one, we talk about defensive plays. It's from someone who, you know, is not usually a culprit, but Thomas Shabbat just absolutely whiffed on a pass. And, you know, yeah. again, like it's, I feel like some people have pointed out that, um, you know, Shabbat doesn't take near as not, not near as much heat when he does that as compared to a good Branson or uh, a Riley or something, but Shabbat does so much more on the other end that it, it, it yeah, it sucks seeing that you want him to eliminate the games, but or th- those things from his game, but it happens. And when you're out producing that anyways, it's, it's going to happen. You take the good with, or the bad with the good sometimes, but for sure, uh, it, it was just a game that was just like, anytime they felt like they were in it, they just, they hit a post or, or they, they like, I thought Demko played really, really well on Monday he night did. too. Like he, he made a couple amazing stops, but just kind of every time they felt like they were back in it, they just made a, a bad play chasing the puck and it just kind of shot them in the foot again. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and Sam, I'm just looking right now, the three, one goal too. Um, you know, I've really liked Nikita Zaitsev's game this year, but that was uh that was a bad one. You know, he, he had, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think he was in 40% for expected goals and course four. he had just two or three boneheaded plays. And that looked like last year's Nikita Zaitsev, but uh, we, we moved to the second game in the series. You know, I think people on Wednesday were expecting a bit of a bounce back and, they didn't get it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, Hogberg got the start, which I was a little surprised about. I don't know about you. I thought maybe he would start the back-to-back, but he got his chance on the first uh, one, and uh, it was a tough start. You know, he let in a goal that you just, again, you can't let in to start the game. It was one where just an off angle, didn't control the rebound, free shot in front of the net, it's in. Suddenly you're down one nothing. you're chasing the game two minutes in. Like, it's I thought he played decent the rest of the game like I didn't really think any of the other goals were his fault but again with gold if you're the Ottawa Senators you're going to be chasing every game here anyways you need those stops like you you just you can't be letting those ones in right but yeah, absolutely. I, I actually I'd stepped out uh, on that game on Wednesday night to to grab some groceries at a quiet moment in the evening and came back and it was already one nothing. And as soon as I saw the replay, I was like, that's not the way you want to start. Um, I was a bit surprised as well, uh, like you said, on on Hogwarts getting the start on Wednesday instead of Thursday. But feels like DJ Smith was looking for a, a spark. And if that was going to come from a switching goaltending, then then that would be obviously ideal. But uh, one of the good things I did like from that that game on Tuesday or on Wednesday, I think that was the game where. Uh, Colin White finally got some good line mates. Uh, big game from from him. I mean, obviously you you want some some points on the board from from White to really kind of re-cement himself in the lineup. But I believe Wednesday was the game where he started playing with uh, Nick Paul and Dadnov. Um, and finally, voila! Surprise, surprise! He gets good line mates. He starts playing well. So uh, that was really good to see from from White for sure. If we're looking for for some positives, and then obviously the the Norris Kachuk Batherson line continues to be amazing uh relative to the rest of the team especially yeah uh colin white played uh 13 minutes at five on five with dadanov 11 40 with nick paul those are his two most used line mates and and with them he had a 51 and 54 percent Corsi four percentage and uh i think he was 69 and 71 percent expected goals too so the, the line was really really good together and uh his most used d partners were nikita zaitsev and Tom, thomas shabbat which is the quote unquote first pair, you know? So, I mean, mm-hmm. he played with a lot of defense, but yeah, I thought that this was a game where, you know, after that uh, loss on Monday night was the big quote by DJ Smith of things need to change. And 
Uh, Colin White got Drew in and Nisimov came out and I, I, I really liked White's game, you know, as he said. And um, on Thursday night too, I, I didn't like it as much, but I, I still thought he was pretty good, you know, on Thursday night too. I, I thought uh, for a game that again didn't, it, it's frustrating because I feel like there was, there's positives in all of these games, but when you come away with zero points in three games, it, it's hard to be like, well, that was actually an okay stretch of games, you know, but they didn't, they didn't get shelled in possession at all, which is, I, I guess like, and I, like I'm, I'm clutching at straws here, obviously <laughs> like you need points at some point. Like they're, I know we, they like, no one really expected them to compete for a playoff spot, but if they wanted to be in the playoffs longer into the year, which I think is more ideal for this team, you need points now, you know, like they're already so far out of it where it, it's tough to see them even climb back to where, you know, they might look like it. Like they have three points. Calgary's got five was played two less games. And then, it goes 6, 10, 10, 12, 14. So you rattle off a couple of wins and you're back in it, but it, it, you really need some help here too. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like I thought that Colm White was, if we're looking for pluses, that was a huge plus this week. I, I really do hope that we get to see more from him because the little that we have seen, especially when he's been put with good line mates, has been uh, rather encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the the top six in, in the Wednesday and Thursday night game sh- probably should be how things move forward at least for a couple more games give him a shot you know the the kid line and then the the Colin White Dadnov and Nick Paul line I think you know across the league maybe that's not the strongest top six but I think it's the best top six that Ottawa can put out right now um so I'd love to see that continue uh, but like you said I mean we're we're looking for positives amongst a sea of of some pretty uh negative stuff over you know as you said getting out scored 16-3 uh, on the week uh, but you know, if we're looking for positives, I'd I'd say Colin White and and uh, the top pairing of Zaitsev and Shabbat are, are definitely well, and the kid line uh, are definitely the the places that you can look for a little bit of positivity uh, in a week of three straight losses. Absolutely, and I think that kid line that I've said it a couple times now, it feels like they're due to just break through with like literally three goals in one night from the three of them. Like they have just they've created so much for. I don't even know if they have a five on five goal for yet. Like I, I'm trying to think they might have one or two together, but I know Josh Norris got a power play one the other night and it's tough when there's not scoring at all, but like, I, it just, I, I feel like one of these games they're bound to get like three and that's going to really kickstart the offense. And, and that's what, and they're going to need it. If they're going to want to win games, that's what they're going to need this year. You know, you can have depth guys chip in here or there, but it's going to have to be your big guys getting it done. And I, I really have not for, you know, I, I know people have had issues with Batherson or, or Norris just in terms of when you look at the stat sheet, it's not encouraging when you see, three points over eight games or whatever, but I really think they've played a lot better than that and been, been more deserving than that. And, um, you know, I, I, I want to say, you know, this, this process, hopefully, hopefully it should shine through, you know, and uh, another guy on Thursday, I thought really looked good. Uh, uh, Tim Stutzel as well, you know, him, Dadnov and white all looked really good. I thought on Thursday for, for the game. And, you know, again, Thursday, I kind of came out with, I, I, that was one of the few games I got to just watch my computer was broken. So I couldn't give anything. And I decided just sit down and watch and, it was a frustrating game because it was one where it was like, I really don't think they deserve to lose that one four one with it never being in doubt, but that's just kind of where we are with this team. And, you know, I, I don't really know what the fix is right now because mm. they kind of hamstring themselves to just a bunch of not great players. Right. So for sure. Yeah. That's, that's the big problem is, you know, if you, if you go on the season and, and you sort some, some of the, the stats here, uh, you know, if you, if you sort your your CF percentage, for example, and you look at the bottom of the list, you know, seven of those eight players at the bottom of the list are, are the, you know, off-season moves to make the team competitive, right? You're, you're looking at the, 
you know, it's I think it's Brown, Paquette, Coburn, Galchenyuk, Watson, Haley, Goodbranson, Anisimov. I think are your your bottom eight, you know, and, and so they're all, those are all the players getting shelled, but those are the players that are supposed to be, you know, supposed to be brought in to, to make things competitive, right? So uh, I think that's been the most frustrating part is, you know, like you said, you want the big guys to to shine through. You want Kachuk, Norris, and Batherson to to be the ones putting up the points. Uh, but when the bottom half of your roster is is getting, you know, hemmed in their zone as regular as they are, you know, getting outshot, out chances as regular as they are, you know, it's it's pretty tough to to drag that up, especially when, you know, two-thirds of your top line are essentially brand new to the NHL. You know, Batherson's played some games, but, uh, you know, Norris, this is his first, like the longest streak of NHL games in a row for Josh Norris, right? So it's uh, it's tough when you want the kids to play, you want the young players to succeed, but the other part of the lineup kind of drags things down a bit. So uh, that I think that's been the frustrating thing for, for me the past couple of games is, is watching, you know, almost every time the, the play is in the offensive zone and, and Ottawa has possession, almost every time at even strength, it's Norris, Batherson, Kachuk, and whichever defenders they're with, right? And then, you know, every once in a while, other lines chip in. But uh, the disparity, I think, between the top and the bottom of the lineup so far this season has been the most frustrating thing to watch. Yeah, and just combining with that, too, is just any, or not any, but a lot of the time, just you see a stupid mistake and you go, okay, well, without even watching the replay, it's going to be one of five guys, I know. And sure enough, <laughs> yeah. it's it's like it's a Coburn taking a holding penalty where he's just bear-hugging a dude because he got beat. Or it's, you know, good Branson was just out of place or something. And they, I don't want to make them the whipping boys, but you just got to call it as you see it. And right now, it's just, it's not good enough. And, uh, you know, I think in past years, I tweeted this out the other night, uh, watching the the Thursday night game really made me realize how underappreciated I think sometimes Craig Anderson was in this market. You know, he mm. was never a top five guy in the league, but even in his later years, you know, he really didn't post great save percentages or anything, but once every two or three games, he would come in and just steal a game or, or steal a period or two where it's like the Sens had no business being tied after that period, but he made like four just amazing stops and they're just not getting those so far. And, you know, I don't know what you do here because obviously you're locked into Matt Murray long-term. I th- I've been disappointed with Hogberg starts. You know, I, I really want to see, but I, it, it, you, you can't say he's been good either. You know, I still want to see him get more. He's had two starts in 10 months. So it's quite possible. It's still just some rust, but like at, at some point, if the goaltending is this bad, I, I think you really have to look at even trying to give someone like Joey Decor to start and just, see what can what works because you know like we'll get in the defense it doesn't help i get it but like auto's goaltenders have not looked good for goal saved above average or expected either and and that tries to factor in things like poor defense and and you know shot location it's obviously not perfect but um you know it, it does a better job and matt murray is still the worst goalie in the league that him and tristan jari funny enough are are the two bottom in the league through like four games right now so um, you know, it, it needs to step up, even if it's just marginally. And I, I think if that happens, they'll at least get a better chance at winning in some of these games, because right now you make, you can get away with a couple things. If, if it's unlucky shooting percentage, bad depth and bad goaltending, you maybe get away with, you can get away with one of them, maybe two, depending on which two, all three happening at the same time, which is what's happening right now. You're, you're not winning games and that's exactly what's, what's happened. Right. So. For sure. And this season, you know, it's, it's interesting because they have the opportunity to try stuff, right? Try a bunch of different things. And one of those things could be rotating in a Joey Decord, a Philip Gustafson, whatever it might be uh, to try to get them going. But you're right. It's, you know, they, they can't have all three of those things happen at the same time. 
Uh, and currently that's exactly what's happening. And they also, you know, with the lineup that they have, they can't be a team that's going to regularly score four plus goals in a game. It's just, it's not going to, that's not going to be the case uh, more often than not anyways. And so, you know, when you see the Canucks go up 4-1, it's like, well, what are the chances the Senators are, re- this Senators team is, they are really going to score four goals between now and the end of the game to win. Like it's pretty low. There aren't, there aren't enough game breakers and there certainly isn't enough, you know, throughout the lineup to, to really, you know, make those types of comebacks. So, you know, it's, it's gotta be the defense. It's gotta be the goaltending that, that changes. I think um, I'm hoping that we'll get to see Eric Branstrom sometime soon. Not that he's a, you know, defensive wizard by any means, but he's far more capable of moving the puck and transitioning the play than, than some of the players at the bottom of the lineup right now. Um, but you're right. It, it feels like, you know, every time a goal is scored, you're just looking for one of Mike Riley or Josh Brown to be on the ice uh, or Braden Coburn. Um, and so really need those, you know, something to change on the back end. Hopefully Branstrom can come in. I'm still very curious on Artem Zub as well. Um, obviously he's not going to come in and, and change the world, but I'd like to see him get a shot and see what happens. Well, that's exactly what I want to bring up to you next is, you know, this defense, because it's simply not good enough. And Cristobal Lanham went down, unfortunately, on, on Wednesday, and you hope he's okay. Uh, Philip Schlappick uh, came in the lineup on um, uh, Thursday night, and I thought he looked pretty good. Uh, that's something we can talk about, too, but he's off the line. He's out of the lineup now, which disappointing, but not surprising, I would say. But mm-hmm. it, something's got to change in the de- defense, and I- I'm shocked that Zoom hasn't had a, had a start yet, you know, like – there's no way you can tell me Braden Coburn on the right hand, third right-handed pair or Josh Brown, you know, has been better. You know, I, I like Josh Brown's first two games. And since then he has been brutal. Like I, I really want to see him succeed because I, I think he's one of the guys I didn't absolutely hate that they brought in. I thought it was a mm-hmm. little redundant, but I thought there was some potential there and it's just, it's blown up. And at this point, I think you just got to sit these guys down for a game or two. Like if you're going to sit the rookies down or, you know, guys who quote unquote haven't earned it, like, there's no way what these guys are doing at five on five on the ice right now is earning their spot either. So, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's for a game or two, I really just want to see what uh, Zub can do and Branstrom too, because I think this lineup looks more encouraging. If you have, um, you know, some combo of probably Shabbat Zaitsev, I would say has got to be the top pair. Now I, I know they keep wanting to put the brands in there. I, I just don't see it. Um, and then some combo of Branstrom uh, I'm assuming good Branson's got to stay in Zub and, I guess Coburn is probably playing the third until, until Will Lannan gets back, but you hope Will Lannan get back or Mike Riley. You know, I haven't hated Riley's game either. I thought he's been, he's had ups, he's had downs. I think he's been whatever. If he's your sixth defenseman, you're okay. The problem is he's probably been their third best defenseman and that's kind of tough right now. Right. So um, yeah, I, I really want to see some changes come in on the defensive side of things here. Yeah, absolutely. And and to your point on the, you know, the Shabbat Zaitsev, pairing for me that's the only answer for the top line at this point which i cannot believe i'm saying that about nikita zaitsev but here we are um he's been not bad too good good. you know like it's it's been it's been awesome to see um it's almost like he's the the zaitsev from the first year in toronto where you know he looked like a a steal of a a russian signing there um the second pair the interesting and the sad thing about walainen is He's was the only defense defensive partner for Good Branson that brought them to a positive metric together, right? You know, he's the only person paired with Brands, Good Branson, Thomas Shabbat included, who has had a a positive, you know, Corsi four percentage, right? So, well, that makes me wonder, you know, if Eric Branstrom as a partner for Good Branson could be interesting 
because I don't see that. I don't think Christian Willian and Eric Brancham are the same type of player, but I think they're close enough on the, the speed, the puck movement, um, the kind of offensive mind that maybe, you know, Branstrom and Goodbranson could be, we call them good Branstrom, uh, could be a good, uh, a good pairing to, to try out anyways, uh, to see if we can fix up that defense, but it's, uh, you know, the, the third pairing options at this point are not overly promising. So um, hopefully we can see something like that happen soon. Yeah. And I think if you're going to play good Branson, they seem dedicated to playing good Branson in the, in the top four role, which mm-hmm. uh, is something I don't really agree with, but you know, again, like with who you have right now, maybe you have to, but you need a puck mover with them and it's got to be a good puck mover. And that's why someone like Christian Willan and I think was fitting well. And I, I do see an area where Branstrom can slide in there and at least help him because, you know, when he's playing against Mike with Mike Riley or someone, he just Riley can't move the puck well enough to, to help good Branson get out of trouble, you know, like good Branson for, what he brings in, in toughness or whatever you want to call it. He treats the puck like an active grenade a lot of the time. And, <laughs> and it, it, it's just tough to watch. Right. So you, you need a partner that can take the puck from him and really help him get out of trouble in his own end. And I think Branstrom can do that. You know, I thought he did an okay job of that with Ron Hainsey last year too. Like uh, I, I just, I always feel so out on an Island about what Eric Branstrom did last year. When I watched his game, I thought, it was good. It was for a 20 year old who was playing with a 37 year old who couldn't skate on the <laughs> second pair. I thought it was an okay game. You know, he, he put up modest defensive results. I think he was around 50% Corsi four and you know, he didn't, he didn't shoot much. He was not an offensive juggernaut like he was touted to be, but considering what he had to deal with, I, I thought he played well. So I was totally wanting him to get another shot and it doesn't, I don't even know if the AHL is going to be starting just yet. Like we still don't have, much news on that do we like we don't so especially in canada we don't so as following um patrick williams i think it is on on twitter who covers a lot of the ahl stuff and uh, he had mentioned that both toronto and belleville are still working with the province to get clearance to play right so um you know, the season's allegedly starts less than a week from now. It's supposed to start on Friday and other teams have schedules. American teams have schedules, but Belleville's schedule is still to be determined. So, you know, that's the other thing, you know, if we, if we want to talk about other frustrating things that the, the taxi squad as it currently exists today, you know, could have had AHL players on it, you know, could have had a Logan Brown on it, could have had, uh, you know, well, Abramov's hurt, but you know, Formanton could also be on the, the tax squad right now because they're not doing anything else. You know, all they're doing is practicing and we don't know if and when Belleville will get to start playing games. And so it would be, I, I don't know, I would be far more intrigued to see someone like Logan Brown or Alex Formanton flipped into the lineup every once in a while, rather than, you know, Michael Haley, for example. So um, that's an interesting thing, but you know, for, for Belleville perspective, we have no idea when they're actually going to start playing hockey games. You know, they're, yeah, at this point they're practicing and working out and that's it. Literally. And even if they do start playing, there's three teams they're playing against. It's yeah. them, the Marlies, like the Manitoba Moose and the Laval Rockets. Like the So it's not like it's going to be a legitimate NHL season. They're going to play what? I think the plan was 28 games. Is yeah, that something right? like that. 20, yeah. 26, 28, something like that. It's not going to be a lot of hockey. Yeah. So like I, I would have much rather see. And I get like in practices, the NHL guys aren't going as hard as they possibly can. But I, I just feel, I definitely feel like, Logan Brown, Eric Branstrom, you know, as he said, even for Formanton, they would be so much more benefited to just see what the NHL lifestyle is kind of like right now. You know, you talk about all this experience and stuff like that. It's like, well, 
why would you not? If you don't have to have them on your roster, when you waive them, it's free for you. You don't need to put them through waivers. Why would you not have them sit on your taxi squad? They can see exactly what the NHL lifestyle is like, what they're in store for, what they want to work for. And yeah, like, again, it would be much cooler seeing a Logan Brown sub in instead of a Michael Haley or Matthew Pekka or whatever. Like, no offense to those guys, but I just don't need to see them in a lineup in 2021, especially one that has Coburn, Gabranson, and Watson in it all at the same time. Like, I, I just don't need to see that. So I, 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 I do question the the usage of the taxi squad. And I, I kind of want to know if that is on Pierre Dorian or DJ Smith or, or both of them, you know, like it's, I don't know. It's an interesting decision. And, you know, I want to get your take on it too, because there's been a lot more talk this week about uh, not only DJ Smith's job, but I've seen a lot of discussion about Pierre Dorian too. And if, if this season's a disaster, does Melnick step in and, and maybe give him the ax and, I personally can't see it. I think it would have to be a complete mess for, for Dorian to get fired. I, I just, I don't think Melnick's going to want to a pay a GM to, that he fired, but B Dorian just seems like Melnick's yes, man. Like, I, I don't know how many people will put up with what he seemed to put up with. And to me, I think that's probably stronger to Melnick than, than any of the on ice results are. Yeah. I don't, I don't see a place where, where any big shakeups happen in Ottawa at you know, in this season or next off season, I think that DJ Smith will finish the year for sure. And probably start next year as the coach. And we'll see what happens then. Uh, I, like you said, for the exact same reasons you said, I don't see any scenario where Pierre Dorian's not the GM for the Ottawa senators in 2022. Um, you know, they, they may have touted the, we're going to be more competitive. This was the best training camp I've ever seen in my career stuff, but I, th- I would be, well, maybe not, not willing to bet. I'm hopeful that, internally they know that that's not true that's what i'm hopeful for i'm hoping that you know that was kind of a lip service a little bit of gaslighting uh you know get fans excited get fans watching the hockey games all that kind of stuff um but i don't think pierre dorian or dj smith see this as a playoff team or see this as a team that's going to be competitive this year if they do that's a problem but I, I genuinely don't think that you know as much as i've i've tweeted many a negative thing about pretty much everyone in the front office at some point uh of the Ottawa senators i don't think that they're so naive to think that the roster that they put on the ice is actually going to be uber competitive this year so I, I really can't see a scenario where anyone loses their job i mean there's the classic head coach carousel that happens all the time so maybe you know if something you know if they finish the season with you know a handful of wins and 40 losses then yeah maybe they're gonna gonna shake something up but you know Pierre Dorian can't keep saying things like x was the best thing I've ever seen or the best thing of my career and then you know six months later fire the head coach that was the best hiring of his career right so um I don't see I don't see a big shakeup happening at least not this year or next offseason yeah, I definitely agree. And it's to the point now with Pierre Dorian, I think this is, would this be his third co- head coach? I think that he's been on in, in this match. I'm trying to think of what year he had obviously Boucher. I wouldn't count Mark Crawford. That was just an intern, but yeah. Boucher, DJ Smith, and oh, who was before Boucher? Uh, Paul McLean yeah, or, Dave, was, or Dave Cameron. I always mix up the order. I, I think it went McLean, then Cameron, I think. But I, I'm pretty sure Dorian was there for the end. But either way, this is his second legitimate hire, I want to say. And yeah, 
it's been very similar kind of guys, you know, different in how they deploy or sorry, different in the system, you know, like Boucher had this trap defensive system that that was really effective for one year and then, you know, fizzled out after year two or whatever. But uh, Smith, it plays this kind of, it feels like everyone's got to buy in kind of thing, but they use the same type of guys, you know, they, Mm -hmm. they, they use a lot of not good veterans. And um, I think if you're Pierre Doring at this point, you're probably getting the point where you can't keep going through coaches and saying, wow, this was, you know, I thought this was the guy, you know, the same with the, this was the best hire. I fully, fully endorse everything he does. I think he had some wild quote about like how he, he endorses it more than what he agrees with his wife. If I'm remembering, I don't know. <laughs> probably. It was something inside. I'm, I'm reading. I'm like, what is going on here? But um, it's like, he, he can't say that and then fire a coach. Right. But what he can do, hopefully, and this is what I want to see him do is do what you did with Boucher. Start taking away his toys. Trade, you know, like if he if he's so certain he needs to use Paquette, trade Cedric Paquette, like just like you did Tom Pyatt, you know, um, which I, I, I saw its way. I think it was, oh man, who who had there was a uh, a thread about what was Pierre Dorian's best three trades, not um, not rebuild. So it's not like the Eric Carlson trade or the Mark Stone trade. Oh yeah, yeah, that was uh, Graham Nichols earlier yes, today. I think yes. yeah. It's, so the, the most liked reply, I want to say, I'm going to pull it up right now. Um, I'm pretty sure Nielsen was the best trade that he has done that was not rebuilding wise. And I was like, geez, it's it's probably true. But it's probably not was, wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So here, yeah, it's Kevin Lee, bring back Lee, who tweeted, one, acquiring Nielsen, two, trading Lazar while he still had some value, three, acquiring Stahlberg or maybe Nemestikov. And Trevor Shackles just re- uh, under that just says, yikes. And that is the best way I think you can sum it up because it's just like, he can't keep doing this where it's like he brings in the guys and then just makes terrible decisions. But at some point you've got to start taking away these toys. And, you know, we, we've seen him every time he took away bad players who everyone knew was bad in the past, better players got put in and there was more success or it looked better. Right. And so I, I really hope that that's what starts to happen because I just, I, I can't watch Cedric Paquette for another 40 games or whatever it is. I, I'm sorry. I, I just, I can't, I'm I can't do it. Right. Like, right there with you. Yeah. It's, it's been really frustrating watching that. Um, and, and, you know, going back to the, will you know, is Pierre Dorian on the hot seat conversation. This also could just be part of his plan, right? Melnick could know that, uh, you know, he planned on bringing in Paquette and Watson and good Branson to play this year. And then, get traded for a third round pick, fourth round pick, whatever at the deadline uh, to get more assets. Cause we know how much Dorian loves assets. Um, and maybe this was the plan all along, right? So maybe, maybe they're not supposed to win and they know that internally. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm totally with you on you know, trading away the, the toys. You know, if we look at uh, Paquette Watson and Slopic on Thursday, you know, granted small sample size alert, they only played, six, seven, even strength minutes together. But that was, I think is the first time all season where Paquette's been on a line that performed well. And it's like, it's, and, and then Schlappi gets put back on the taxi squad the next day. Right. So that's, that's the, the overarching problem is that I'm not sure that, you know, Smith and his team can identify, especially on the bottom half of the roster, what good is, you know, he's, he's got this, the work hard philosophy, everyone works hard and that's going to be fine. But, you know, you have to work hard to play well, but just because you work hard doesn't mean you played well. And I think that that's the the big the big issue. So if we can see people like Paquette or Coburn or 
Brown or Watson or DeBranson get moved in favor of someone, you know, halfway through the season or towards the trade deadline that's supposed to be, you know, part of the future, then I bet we're going to start seeing more wins towards the end of the season. And you know what? It's going to ruin their draft pick, but I don't care. Yeah, I would much rather see this team win a couple games because, you know, young guys are actually getting to play and there's legitimate, obvious development there than get. Mm-hmm. Like, don't get me wrong, the first overall pick would be nice or whatever, but totally. from all accounts, it's not like that. Like, there's a mix of about five guys who might be first overall this year. There's no consensus number one this year at all, from what I've heard. So, yeah, and I think Colin Cudmore was talking about that recently on Twitter that, you know, this year isn't the year to tank for a pick. Like, there isn't a, a Lafreniere, there isn't a McDavid, there isn't a Matthews, whatever. It's, you know, there's some good players at the top, but it's not one of those things where, you know, a game breaking talent is going to change the the face of your franchise just because you got first overall this year, or at least that's not how it's looking. Plus you take into account the lack of uh, development time for, for this year, not to say that that's going to make them, you know, drastically worse as, as future NHL players. But, you know, when you've got a, the Q season, that's going to be end up being like 40 games spread over nine months or whatever they're, situation is going to be uh it's going to be tough for for these prospects to really even show that they are worthy of that first overall pick right so i think it's going to be a confusing draft there's not going to be as much amateur scouting opportunities especially for north american players yeah i mean the whl is just trying to get going right now with a i think they the way jeff merrick described their plans was ambitious uh you know the ohl as far as i've heard doesn't even have a true I know they wanted to return but I, I don't I haven't seen anything lately of a true plan either so it, it's going to be hard and, and I think that's why you know it, it's going to be tough to, to evaluate prospects because as you said like if a guy plays 12 games and looks really good I mean or looks really bad like how much do you wait that before like because the draft year is so important too right yep. it's not like in a normal year where it's like if a 24 year old has 12 bad games and they just didn't get to play all year it's like well, if we saw what we saw last year, it's still good. We have priors on him. The jump between your D plus one and your draft year can be like just so unreal, right? Like, so it's, or D minus one, I guess it would be. But um, yeah, it's it's going to be something to keep an eye on for sure. But it's why I want to see, you know, more young guys get put in the lineup. And uh, the thing on the working hard thing, that's been my biggest pet peeve all year because I feel like people, Austin Watson hasn't been the biggest issue. I'd say there's about, four or five players that have been worse than him, <laughs> but he hasn't been good either. And I feel like a lot of people, because had the, he scored a goal or two, I think he's at two goals and maybe a two assists this year um, say, Oh no, he's playing fine. He looks like he's trying hard out there, but uh, his results really show that he's just, he's not a very good NHL player. And it's as simple as that. I, I think the, the huge difference between the eye test and numbers for him is it looks like he's always trying hard, but it's because he's always chasing the puck in a trying hard manner, which don't get me wrong, chasing the puck, trying hard is a lot better than not, but just having the puck is better than, you know, having to chase it. And I think that's where the big difference is coming from right now. For sure. It's, it's the, it's the analysis of whether a player is good defensively or just happens to defend a lot, right? Like I think those are two very different things, you know, just because a player spends a lot of time in their own zone defending actually isn't a good indication that they're a good defender. They just don't have the puck. And so that that's the big thing, right? And I think that's that's the problem with the bottom half of, of Ottawa's roster is and even the, the penalty kill as well. I mean, you've got someone like Cedric Paquette on the penalty kill because he's this toted defensive penalty killer. And it really makes you question, is he a 
defensive pen- or is he seen as a defensive penalty killer because he happens to just be put on the penalty kill a lot? Because from what I'm seeing and from what we're seeing, you know, from what we're watching, but also from what we're seeing statistically, he's not great at either. And so it's, it's an interesting, you know, thing that I think it's, and this isn't just a DJ Smith thing. I think it's a general hockey opinion uh, is that, you know, there's a big difference between a good defensive player and a player who happens to have to defend a lot. And that line gets blurred for a lot of people, myself included. Absolutely. I mean, you still see guys like Jack Johnson getting regular ice time in the NHL yeah. here. It's just like, oh, he's a big body that can block shots and stuff. It's like, okay, but like having someone who doesn't need to block those shots near as often is way better than, you know, having Jack Johnson trying to block 90 shots in a game or whatever. And it was it was always the argument against Chris Russell in the top four, right, out in Edmonton too, where I think Chris, Chris Russell is actually a good defenseman, but he's perfect in the 5-6 role where he's playing now, not in the – three, four role where they kind of had him when he first came into that team. And yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, and and that's what it's tough with the eye test because your eyes have been known to lie to you. Like there's been Mm -hmm. studies that show like your brain lies to you too. What you see, you'll remember big things or you remember certain aspects of the game. Right. And, and that's why it's like when people are just so against statistics and, and, and trying to bring a different viewpoint, I don't understand it, you know, because Mm -hmm. um, um, I know this is probably not the right place to be ranting about it because most people listening are probably rather into statistics or at, at least not aggressively against them. But, um, you know, it's, it's just something that always blows my mind when people are like stats are dumb. It's like, well, you need a little bit of both, right? Like you can't just look at a spreadsheet either, but at the same time, it's like they, they can help you identify stuff and help you look for other stuff as well. Right. But yeah, for sure. I think it was somebody mentioned the other day and you know, there's been a couple of games played since, but Ottawa is either, you know, at the very top of the league or, you know, top three in the league in two metrics, which tell you that they're getting outplayed. One is shots blocked and the other is hits. And basically it's, you know, yeah, it's great to be a physical team, but if you're the one making the most hits, it's probably because you're the one who never has the puck. Right. So it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to kind of look at that kind of stuff and, and figure out what it really means because people will say, Oh, he's a big shot blocker. And, you know, to me, that's like, okay, good he puts his body on the line he you know he's trying to be defensive but it also means he's never has the puck right so yeah it's a it's an interesting thing but you know to, to your point you know you need to have both uh and i worry that you know the sends in particular don't look at you know they, they might look at both you know i think i think dorian's mentioned a couple of times that they've got a you know internal analytics that make you know their players yeah. look good. And then to Dorian's defense, I'm pretty sure Kyle Dubas said the exact same thing about Cody Cece last season. So, you know, it's not just Pierre Dorian that does this, but what I worry about is that, you know, the analytics that they are looking at aren't helpful. And even if they are helpful, they're not paying attention to them nearly as much as not, you know, it should be a, a relatively even split, you know, but I'm willing to bet it's not. Well, yeah, and Ian Mendes asked DJ Smith this week, I want to say, mm. about if he uses, you know, analytics to, to help who comes in out of the lineup. And he had a quote on Milan and about how the numbers really help Milan's game, and and that's why he wants to see him a little more. And I thought that was encouraging. I was like, that's good. Sure. But the, the other thing you want to see with that is a follow-up question of like, okay, so like if you're using this decision for Milan, and what's your decision for guys like Paquette? Because theoretically, you know, if they're using anything like we have for external measures – the guy, the, the statistics that say, well, Lannon's a good defenseman should say Coburn is not a good defenseman, right? But Coburn keeps getting put in the lineup. And if the answer to that is, well, he does stuff that the stats can't measure, that gets me a little worried because then it's like, you're using statistics to tell you what you want to see, right? Like yeah. 
it, it's confirmation bias, right? Which is not the right way to use statistics. Um, again, you don't need to listen to everything that statistics say, but if the statistics say that this guy is overwhelmingly a bad defenseman and has been for a number of years, you really got to, I think, look at what you're looking at and say, okay, it, do I see this? Or is, you know, like, like I see a little bit of good and obviously statistics can show that too, but more often than not is the bad weighing the good. And that's the kind of thing I think you need to look at. And it worries me a little that just given the player usage we've seen this year, that it probably doesn't happen like that. But Mm -hmm. again, I don't want to talk for anyone because we're not in the room, but it just, that's kind of the way that it signals to me sometimes is yes, we use analytics, but only when they tell us what we want to hear. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I think that that goes back to the same, you know, the, the quote about the internal analytics from, from Dubas last year about Cody Cece. It's like, you know, they, they tell them that he's an effective defenseman. It's like, well, all the analytics we see, see a very different story. So I would love to know, I'd love to know what, what that is. And and we know, you know, Ottawa's not a, a, a large front office uh, by any means, which means if they're using any type of analytics, it's probably someone who isn't full time. I haven't looked at their, their front office, you know, employee directory recently, but I'm willing to bet they don't have a full-time analytics person. And so they're probably using, you know, some, some mix of public and whatever they're tracking internally to make those decisions. But, you know, to your point, you know, if they're saying, well, well, Anna needs to get more time because he looks good based on their analytics, then they have to be looking at either something strange or more likely, you know, using it for some people and not for other. Yeah. And I think, I think it was a year or two ago, they had at least one full-time guy, but like, yeah, again, like Toronto has like 30 like, full-time <laughs> guy and like, not, you don't need 30 of them, but like more than one would be ideal. And yeah. you know, the, the Dubis one, it's always interesting because uh, the statistics last year, even externally showed that CC probably wasn't as bad in his own end as we think he was. And that, that is always the best case study I want to see just because like you watch a game and you can see he's not good in his own end. But yeah. I, I think it was more the little things is the, I always, always compare CC and Zaitsev like this. CC does a lot of small things that you don't really notice. He does them. Okay. He gets them out, but he will make one just glaring issue that will absolutely tank it. Like he'll just cough up a puck or just, ignore a guy right in front of the net right like it's like a a shotgun blast to the chest is how you're dying with cody cc when nikita zaitsev it's the thousand paper cuts or you know up until this year obviously but like last year it'd be like he just he missed a chip out he kind of lost a puck battle on his guy but it's not super super noticeable stuff so you watch it back you go oh yeah this was on player x and then if you just watch nikita zaitsev you go oh no he made three really little he made three little (laughs) mistakes over and over and over again that, that led to that goal. Right. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's always interesting to see how teams use their internal data because I know a lot of teams have internal data too. Like uh, I think the Minnesota wild were another team that uh, cited it, which is funny because they're really, they are favored by external data as well. A lot, yeah. you know, like the evolving hockey model really likes them, but um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I really would like to know more about how the team uses it, but uh, unfortunately I, I don't feel like that's, probably an answer we're going to get anytime soon no i i highly doubt that we're going to you know get to see inside the the war room when they're talking about analytics or you know any of this stuff that they're actually tracking so um all, all that and that's the problem right because all, all we have to to look at is the stats that we have access to uh and then obviously watch the games and you know all of those things are saying more bad things than good right now so it's it's tough to to understand you know why dj smith is doing what he's doing when he's doing it yeah, totally agree. Um, let's get, let's get to another just couple of players before we we look at this Edmonton series real quick. And uh, yeah. 
I think they would play Montreal too, but uh, I want to get your thoughts on Tim Stutzel and how he's looked in his five games so far, because he's one that, again, I don't know if the eye test and stats really match up. I, I haven't minded his game from an eye test perspective, but the statistics aren't very uh, favorable for him. Um, his expected goals is I think lowest on the team at 27%. And a lot of that is because he's not uh, driving much in terms of expected goals for, um, and I'm, I'm kind of wondering if that's just, I feel like a lot of the time he makes a couple of nice plays, but gets drove driven to the outside. So the chances that come aren't exactly high danger. And that's where the expected goals is lacking. But I want to get your take on um, Tim Stutzel because, you know, his course, he four percentage around 45%, which is not great, but over five games, it's whatever. But I thought he's looked much better than that on the ice. And, and so this is one, you know, it goes the opposite way where it's like, I don't see what I'm seeing, what the statistics are saying. And I'm trying to figure out what that's for, you know, well, what's your been, what's your thought on his game so far? Yeah, I'm 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 with you. I think that he's looked quite good. I think in every game but one. Um, you know, there one of the Vancouver games, probably the seven-one game. To be honest with you, I can't remember. You know, I think there was at least one, if not two, goals that were directly because of you know a Tim Stutzla giveaway, right? So um, that's really tough. I, I think the the thing that we're seeing is that, or the thing that I'm seeing, anyways, is that you can see the skill you can see you know what made him the standout forward at the world juniors but what i think keeps happening is he's holding onto the puck a little too long you know he's playing a little too long he's doing the cutbacks in the corner trying to you know uh shake off a man on on the wall that kind of stuff um stuff that worked at the world juniors and stuff that probably worked in the in the del but uh isn't working in the nhl uh, you know, you've got bigger players, you've got faster players, you've got smarter players that you're playing against that aren't going to let you do the, you know, cut back, cut back, cut back to try to shake someone off on the boards. And then he either ends up, uh, you know, in a position where he can't make a great pass to a teammate or in a position where he can't make a pass at all to a teammate and then he just loses the puck. You know, I think that's been the case a couple times, but I do think that the the good has outweighed the bad, especially for a, a young player uh, who is B playing on a, relatively not great hockey team right i think i think we're seeing flashes of what's going to make him really really good in the future but we're also seeing you know a young kid who needs to get used to it and i don't, I don't think it was you know i think that the hype for myself included uh, after the world juniors was this guy's a game breaker and he's going to be a game breaker today and i don't think that that was fair for any of us to actually put that type of expectation on on him because you know i think he's played well enough and I think he will continue to get better. I don't think, you know, I've seen a couple people uh, on, on Twitter from varying, you know, outlets and, uh, you know, fans of the game, people who write for blogs, people who write professionally question whether he should, you know, maybe go to Belleville or maybe go back to Germany. And it's like, I, I don't see it. He's not, he's playing well enough that he should be in the NHL. He's just not the game breaking star that we want him to be after the first puck drop. Um, and after he scored that amazing goal um, against Toronto, you know, I think that had everyone, you know, really excited about him. Um, but I think that I think that he's going to be just fine as soon as this season. He just needs some more time to to get used to the speed of the game. And I think to to figure out that he, you know, he's a playmaking guy, but he needs to use his teammates more. I think that that's probably, you know, maybe there's a bit of selfishness or maybe a bit of panic in his game uh not all the time but in those plays where he gives it the puck in those plays where he loses the battle on the boards uh or he you know cuts and turns himself into trouble um you know i think those are things that are he's just gonna he's gonna learn he's gonna figure it out he's gonna realize that he doesn't have that much time he doesn't have that much space uh and it's it's gonna get better 
Yeah, I think that's very fair. And, you know, I think that some of that might come with just being more comfortable with his line mates too, you know? Totally. I, I think one thing on the, the German team in the World Juniors is he had to do a lot of it himself. I mean, his yeah. line, he had some good line mates, but he was playing with a guy who was drafted in the third round or whatever, right? So it's like, you got to do something like yourself. In the NHL, it's like, uh, you know, yeah, he's playing with Chris Brown and, and or Connor Brown and Chris Tierney, sorry. Um, and you know, they're not the most skilled guys in the world, but even the other night, you know, I think he had his best night actually in that four, one loss. And I think the numbers kind of reflect that he was really positive in his Corsi four percentage, just about everyone he played with. He, he played pretty good with, you know, like Chris Tierney, the shot attempts are 13 to eight Drake Batherson. He played the second most amount with nine to eight in shot attempts. You know, he played a little bit with Colin white, uh, Evgeny Dadanov as well and looked pretty good with those two guys. So, um, you know, I think as he gets a little more confidence playing with guys who are NHL talent and caliber, he'll realize, Oh, okay. I don't need to do this all myself. I can, I can move it, you know, I can move the puck to them and, and get, get free in space and, you know, use that shot that we've seen so many times in the world juniors. And, you know, we saw the hand eye in the in his first goal, but um, yeah, I, I think he should be good too. You know um, I think it was, it was Derek Lee that I saw that called him out or not called him out, but was wondering if he should go to Belleville and um, you know, friend of the podcast, I had him on last week, but I just disagree with that. I would disagree with that in a normal year, but as we already touched on this episode, we don't even know what's happening in Belleville right now. So I am, yes, I get, you got to kind of worry about the RFA years a little bit, but at the, with the third overall pick, I think you just got to be more worried about developing him this year and getting him some more NHL talent, which hmm. he looks NHL ready. It's just the results aren't there. Um, instead of worrying about that extra year of RFA status, I, I, I think at this point, right? So. For sure. And I think it, you know, it's, it's really good for everyone to remember that, that Tim Stutzla is not Curtis Lazar. Um, we're not seeing a player who's putting up poor, you know, uh, more often than not anyways, putting up less than positive numbers, uh, who also isn't capable of turning that around. Uh, I think, I think, you know, sense fans and really all, all hockey fans, uh, have a bit of a, uh, uh, you know, have trust issues with, with prospect development and young players playing in the NHL. If they're not doing well, right off the bat, you know, not every, star in the league today was a star in their first season you know if you look at any of the the top you know non non mcdavid's non austin matthews type players you know it took time and i i don't think that there's any place where stutzla is going to develop any better any quicker any whatever uh than he will playing with the ottawa senators for a full season this year yeah absolutely agree and i mean like people forget uh even Nathan McKinnon, he looked like great in his rookie year and then had three years where people were wondering what he actually was because, you know, his contract at the time was a fair contract because mm -hmm. going into that season, he, you know, he signed a six by six and a half or whatever it was. And people were like, that's fair because like he might be a two C. We're not really sure. Like uh, the 25th best one C. And then he was like, no, I'm actually like the third best center in the league or probably second <laughs> yeah. now. But like, yeah. yeah, it's just like, you know, people develop over more, more years than one. Right. And it's like, I feel like Ottawa's just been so jaded because, you know, the last three prospects we have as 18 year olds or 19 year olds has been Curtis Lazar and Cody CC, who were just way too forced. They were in over their head. They were never a top five pick and they just, they, they shouldn't have made the lineup and they did. And then Brady Kachuk, who was a top five pick and honestly was NHL ready the day one day he was drafted and just looked really good. But even Brady Kachuk, I think has made obvious improvements. You know, if, if Brady Kachuk didn't play half his rookie season with Mark Stone, I don't think we we look on that season near as favorably. Now, mm -hmm. it's great that they had Mark Stone to play him with, uh, and, you know, you can't take that away from him. But, you know, I just feel, yeah, sometimes people get so 
so worried about what's happened in the past. It's like, these are just so different scenarios, you know, yeah. like, yeah, Tim Stutzel is not a Cody CC. He's not a Curtis Lazar. He has way more skill than either of those guys. And, and so, yeah, I don't think there's anything to worry about. I'm excited to see what he does going forward because, you know, he, he's just, the, he's one of the few guys where it's like, I just, anytime I watch him, I'm like, man, the eye t- my eye test just says this guy is like, he's going to be unreal. And I just, I feel confident about that. For sure. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, the only other guy I really wanted to bring up um, was Evgeny Dadanov. I want to get mm. your your take on what he's done. You know, he has not produced at all. He he just, you know, he looks really nervous, if I think is the best way I can put it. Um, I haven't hated his game, but, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I go back and forth. Well, what have your opinions been on Dadanov this year? I think the phrase I haven't hated his game is probably the best way I can describe it. Uh, I think you're I think you're right there. You know, it's he's one of those players where I'm not, I'm not sure he's a, a play driver on a line. I'm, I'm not sure. No, sorry. I shouldn't say that. I am sure he is not a play driver on a line. I think he is a, a complimentary, very skilled player. Uh, you know, when you look at his goal totals for the last three years, I don't know this as fact, but I'm willing to bet he played a lot with Barkov in Florida. Uh, and Huberto. Right. So, ice time. right. So that's, that's kind of where it's at. Ottawa doesn't have those players. Um, and so expecting him to come in, you know, I, I did hope and expect him to be a 25 goal player. Uh, well, whatever that shakes out to on a shortened season, but um, an 18 goal player this year. Uh, and and there's still plenty of time for him to, to possibly accomplish that. But so far it's been, it's been quiet, right? You know, he's had some flashes. He, he scored the one goal, but I mean, it kind of just trickled into the net it wasn't like a you know something where you're like oh there he is you know that's the guy that we were excited about and when they signed him in the offseason but I also think it's really important to remember that you know he hasn't necessarily played with great players either if that makes sense like you know he he practiced for a bit in in training camp that we saw with Kachuk and Norris and everyone thought hey maybe that's going to be the top line but then Batherson jumped on that line and Dadnov I think his most common center probably has been Derek Stepan I think uh, I don't know that as fact, but that's my guess. Uh, and I feel pretty confident about it. And Derek Stepan looks not like the Derek Stepan that he once was, which I think is fair based on his age. Um, but, you know, Dadnov hasn't played with a play driving center, even Colin white, you know, he's not an offensive dynamic player. I think he's a good player. I think he, you know, will balance out to being either a really good third line center or maybe a bottom of the barrel second line center, depending on how things work out. Right. Um, but he's not Barkov. Right. So even, even with, with Stutzla on the other wing there uh, with Dadnov and Stepan or Anisimov, depending on the game, uh, you know, Stutzla is the, the skill, you know, the, probably the future play driver, but today he's not. Right. And so I think that Dadnov needs to, f- they need to find a, a better place for him in the lineup. And as much as I don't want it to happen, if that does mean breaking up the the kid line, maybe that's the best thing for the senators long-term. Maybe you put Drake Batherson on the second line, you know, with a, with a, with Colin White and, and Tim Stutzla and see what happens, you know? Um, so overall, I'm not upset about Dadnov's game. I'm not looking at his contract thinking, uh Oh, but obviously we want to see more, right? We want to see, we want to see a couple more goals uh, and hopefully we can, we can see him break out of that. You know, he's, he kind of seems like the player where when he scores one, he's going to score two, you know, like when, when he scored that one goal, I think that was the rest of that game was probably his best game. Yeah. And I think he looked really good on Thursday night with uh, Colin White and Nick Paul. Um, yeah. 
And, you know, even those two just give a little more skill boost than what, you know, Stepan and I don't even know who his left wing would have been. Stutzel sometimes, Galchenyuk at other times. And yeah. I loved Galchenyuk's game so far this year. Um, so, yeah, I think just getting him bit more opportunity with you know if it's white and paul i'm okay with seeing that for another game but mm-hmm. or if it's you know slide them up with norris and kachuk for a couple of shifts but even just on the power play i think it was it was sen's talk who was on with me a couple of weeks ago and he was saying his usage on the power play is so weird because he's not far enough back to use his shot but he's not close enough like he, they're almost using him as not a net front guy that's kachuk's role but like he's just kind of sitting in the middle of the circle and it's kind of like he just kind of feels useless there, you know, for what he's supposed to be. He's a trigger man, right? And mm-hmm. and you know, and he's got good passing too, but it just feels like sometimes they're not using him in the most appropriate way. And and I wonder if there's a better use for him on the power play where if you, you drag him back out a little bit and try and spread things around or just even a little more movement on the power play, if that would be helpful. Because, um, yeah, that's one place where I think, you know, there's been a couple of times where it just like, he, he looks nervous almost like he, he doesn't want to, you know, he, he knows he wants to produce and I, I feel like it's going to come eventually, but it just, it hasn't been there right now, unfortunately. For sure. But um, other than that, uh, looking ahead to this week, uh, they got, I think, is it one? Oh, I got to look this up. I think it's one or two against that Ed- two against Edmonton maybe. And then I think they play the Habs in a couple as well. Yeah. Um, I think you're right on that. I know they, they kick things off with Edmonton tomorrow. Yeah, uh, but two, I think it's I think it's a two gamer, not a three gamer, like yeah. with with Vancouver. Edmonton Sunday, Edmonton Tuesday, and then at Montreal Thursday, at Ottawa against Montreal Saturday, and then Edmonton comes to town for two on Monday and Tuesday. So they got four against Edmonton, two against uh, Montreal coming up. Uh, you know, Edmonton's been up and down. I know there was a couple quotes from McDavid the other night. How he wasn't too happy after their loss to the back to back losses to the Leafs. Um, I, I, I don't want to say it for third third week in a row. This is a chance to get some points because I said it against Winnipeg, who was reeling coming in. I said it against Vancouver, who was hurting coming in, and both of them just kind of laid a beat down on Ottawa. But uh, I feel like they, they need to get a win here somewhere. You know, uh, just as a team, I, I feel like they're due for one just to put three good periods together instead of one good period and two atrocious ones. Um, I don't know who that's going to be. You know, Montreal's been amazing this year. They've shocked me, actually, of how strong they've looked. But um, – I feel like there's got to be one game here where they, they at least have to put it all together. Right. Like, but right. I, I don't know which one it is like, and um, you know, maybe against Edmonton, they're, they're really dealing with some goaltending issues. Mike Smith's out and they don't have a backup. So it's yeah. been Miko Koskin and running the table there. And uh, he hasn't looked amazing. He hasn't looked horrible, but uh, he's got <laughs> a couple softies in as well. So uh, I think it'll be interesting against Edmonton because who is going to slow down McDavid and, and dry I don't know. And, I also think that this Edmonton power play is going to feast on the Ottawa penalty kill if they take that. Absolutely, they are. That's going to be. I mean, there's lots of things that that will lead to a to an Ottawa loss against Edmonton, but one of them is taking too many penalties for sure. Um, yeah. Interestingly, the uh, the Sens media account posted about 15 minutes ago the lines and D pairings for today. Um, Shabbat isn't practicing which is a bit concerning i saw he was i saw he was day to day yeah so if that's the case that would be ugly but interestingly the second line appears to be stutzla tyranny and batherson Hmm. with connor brown up with norris and kachuk so yeah uh, i'm not sure how i feel about connor brown playing with norris and kachuk but you know, we'll, I guess we'll see what happens. They have to, they have to change something. Right. So um, if they got, if they got to flip that around, the good news is, is, you know, you're looking at their top nine forwards are also in their top nine, which is nice to see. So, yes, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, 
maybe they're trying more of a death spread too, because I think if you're going to beat Edmonton, you need to try and shut McDavid and dry settle down and then feast yep. on their depth. You know, like Kyle Turris just hasn't looked great as the three C mm-hmm. right now. And you know, their top six is really good, but the bottom six isn't. So, you know, hopefully that Paul white Dadnov line uh, you know, that seems to be practicing together can, can do something right. You know, and then you got Paquette, Stepan Watson, I'm just going to ignore that line. I think <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want to talk about it. In, you know, that's like, the best for everyone's mental health. I think. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm really hoping that Shabbat's going to be okay because watching Coburn Gabranson try and take on McDavid is going to hurt. Yeah, the the way these pairings are are listed, it feels like Coburn's a placeholder, and I that, think that so, they right? wouldn't do that. Uh, but interestingly, Artem Zub is on the yeah. third pairing, so maybe we'll get to see his his debut uh, in Edmonton tomorrow and see see what he's all about. But. Uh, it doesn't bode well for my confidence that he's paired with Josh Brown only because of Josh Brown's current status as being on for what appears to be every single goal. So um, we'll see how that works, but um, you know, if we're looking for positives, love the top nine uh, will be interesting to see if Connor Brown can spark some offense or if he's just going to keep getting uh, breakaways and not scoring on them. Like he has the past couple of games. He has been really snake bitten, eh? Like it's been oh, bad. Yeah. Someone but, someone made an Eric Condor reference uh, on Twitter. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, that actually is perfect. That's exactly yeah. what it is. I know. And I know he was like that a lot in Toronto, but not to this extent. Like he usually would bury one or two of them. But yeah. Um, but hey, I mean, like I'd rather someone getting those chances and not capitalizing on them than not getting those chances to begin yep. with. Right. Like totally. So, um, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you and find your work? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at Spencer DJ Blake. Uh, those are my middle initials. It is not a pastime of mine to be a DJ. <laughs> um, and then you can find most of my writing. Uh, well, really all of my writing on Silver Seven Cents. Uh, I cover Belleville, but also cover Ottawa, especially right now when there's not a whole lot to talk about with Belleville. Um, so those are the, the main two places that you can you can find me and chat with hockey or chat with me about hockey. Exactly. Yeah, go go check them out. Especially give a follow. You know, one of my favorite follows on Twitter always always active and it feels like you know anytime you just kind of talk about hockey which is uh not something you can always do these days right so for and, sure and i try um, to yeah. be optimistic it's not it, it, it's not working well but i try hey that's okay though <laughs> there, there, there's there is such a thing as being too optimistic that it gets annoying you know? so you know <laughs> finding that balance is the perfect spot i think but uh, for sure thank you thank you so much for joining me today i'll have to have you on again uh later in the year as you know things keep going and we'll have more to talk about and maybe even an nhl season who knows for sure. Yeah, I'd love that. Thanks so much for having me. As mentioned, huge thanks to Spencer for joining me. I really enjoyed the uh, talk ahead with him. And, uh, you know, I'm excited for the see what the next couple weeks bring here. Um, it's been a rough, uh, rough start to the season, but there's been some, some things to be optimistic about. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, hockey's back, which is better than not having hockey at all. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, I, uh, I'm overwhelmed always by the support and the amount of people that... Uh, um, are, are listening. Uh, it means a lot. And um, I, I hope you guys are enjoying, you know, as always, if there's anything you want to see, just let me know because uh, I'm always looking to improve. And uh, if you're liking the podcast, a, a like or a retweet or a share helps so much, but even just the listen is great. So um, thank you so much. It's hard to believe I've already done 15 episodes of these, but uh, the next episode should be coming out in a week and a bit. I, I was looking at the Ottawa Senators schedule and what I'm trying to do this year is go by blocks against teams 
Um, and so as long as it fits my schedule, I think I will be trying to do a thing after they play Edmonton two more times. So they have two games against Edmonton, two in Montreal, two more against Edmonton, and then that, that February 10th slash 11th is probably where I'm going to try and come back. So, um, yeah, um, it'll be 10 or 11 days before you hear me again probably, but you can check me out on Twitter at NHL Sens and stuff. I'll be giving every Sens game. I, I missed the last Vancouver one, but that was because my program wouldn't work, and I should be back up again. It was it was good to just kind of watch a game, but I, I'm ready to go again. And uh, you can find my writing at lastwordonhockey.com. I'm going to try and get some more Sens pieces out. It's been busy with school and everything, but uh, you can also find my Colorado Avalanche stuff at milehighhockey.com as well, as well as my other podcast, the MNM Hockey Podcast. You can find wherever you're listening to this one, so. Thank you everyone for listening and thank you for Spencer for joining. Uh, As always, I will talk to you all next week.